Good morning. <clears throat> did everyone what? I don't think they did, man. I don't think. You want to do it again? You want to redo it? No? You're good. Okay, cool. I'm good. Hey, I am excited to be here. My name is Kevin McNeil, as he said. And my wife and I, were from Roanoke, Virginia. And we just moved to Jacksonville this Monday. We just unloaded the truck, and we've been here for a few days. Already, I know two things about Jacksonville. Number one, you guys... You love to fish. Every time I ask anyone, I'm like, hey, what do you, what do you like to do for fun around here? Like, oh, I like to go fishing. I like to go to the beach and go fishing. I like to hang out with my dad while he goes fishing. Everyone likes to fish, so I need to get my fishing game up to par. Number two, second thing I know about Jacksonville is this. Your red lights take five years to turn green. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Man, I don't know. Yeah, give yourself a round of applause. That's true. Look, so... Uh, <clears throat> the other day I was sitting at a red light and I listened to a full song and another song started playing. I was like, I'm still here, man. That has to be five minutes. So this, this week I'm going to time every red light, see how long they are, man. It's crazy. So, uh, hey, we're excited to be here. I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you to this church for praying for us. Before we even knew that we were going to go plant a church, uh, my wife and I had no idea you guys were praying for us. You were paving the way, and we're excited to be on this journey with Restore. And so I'm excited to be here for the year. I'm excited to be here uh, this morning. But before we go to God uh, and his word, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day. And we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for this church and this community. And God, we, we just thank you for everything that you do for us. God, we pray as we come to you and we open your word, God, we pray that you would give us your spirit and help us to understand. God, help us to understand your message. Uh, God, help us to, to, uh, to understand what you want us to know. God, we love you and we serve you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And my first Sunday at Restore, I wanted to share a story that involves your lead minister, Roger Burns, okay? Roger and I, we went to school together. We went to Mid-Atlantic Christian University. And in order to understand the story, you got to understand the layout of my college, okay? Let's pretend that this right here, this uh, stand, this represents buildings, okay? This is our dorm, this is our classrooms. All this right here is our actual college where we live and learn, all right? This right here, this stage, this is a river, okay? This is, I guess this is what rivers look like. All right, this is a river, and it was called the Pasqua Tank. It, it smelled really bad, and so we called it the Pasqua Stank. <laughs> okay, a little one. All right, so buildings, river, this thing right here is a gigantic field. And there's nothing in this field. There's no buildings, there's no walkways. Most importantly, there's no lights, this field is incredibly dark. When you go out during the day, it's awesome. You play football, you play ultimate frisbee. But when you go out at night, you can barely see from here to the, the last seat right there. I mean, it is a really dark field. And so one night, me and Roger, we were hanging out. Uh, I think we were in a, a small group. And so after the small group's over, we dap each other up. We do the bro hug thing. And I do what I did every single night, it seemed like. I grabbed my phone, I left the dorm, and I went to the gigantic field to talk to my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And so I talk to her. I see how her day's going. I'm trying to make her laugh. I'm trying to convince her to marry me. You know, I'm putting on a heavy. 
And so as I'm walking down the field, I take note of something. There are about three or four guys, and they're just hanging out on the street way in the distance, okay? I didn't think anything of it. You know, people were allowed to be outside. I'm outside, so I'm walking, and I see them, and I just keep focusing on my conversation. And, and the moon was out, and it was like right on the river. I mean, it, it was really, really nice. And so I'm talking, and I'm walking, and I'm laughing, and I'm catching up with my girlfriend, and I get to the end of the field, okay, where I have to turn around. And so I do this number right here. I turn around, and I start walking the opposite way. But something happens. Something happens right when I decide to turn around. I notice something in the corner of my eye. And so right when I turn around and I start walking, I, it makes me look back. So I look back, and I see what is happening. And all of a sudden, those three or four guys, they are running full speed at me. Okay? Now, I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. I am in a dark field, all alone, and I am being approached by three or four guys that are running up on me. All right? I am not from the ghetto. I don't claim to be from the ghetto. I tell people that I was raised down the street from the hood. Okay? I went to a rough school, had rough friends, grew up in a rough neighborhood, but there's people out there that have experienced it way worse than me. And so I don't tell people I'm from the ghetto. I'm from down the street where the hood was. And there's this saying out there that says, you can take the boy out of the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out of the boy, you know? And so as soon as I turn, I see these guys approaching me, and I have two options. I can either take fights or I can take flights. But there was a third option, and that was ghetto Kevin just takes over the driving wheel. And as soon as I see them, I don't know why, but I threw my phone down, and I started approaching them. And I started yelling at them. And I'm like, what's up, man? What y'all want to do? And so as soon as they start running at me, they stop. Okay? And I start freaking out at them. I'm like, hey, what do y'all want to do? You want to do something? And I'm getting hyped. You know, I'm taking my shorts, and I'm pulling them up. And you know, you know when you get really into it, you start clapping your hands. What you want to do, bro? What you want to do? And so they're running up on me. I don't know who they are, but they are, they are slowing down. I think they're realizing, like, yo, who is this guy? We thought this would be easy. So they get closer, but they still keep coming. They're just not running anymore. They're walking towards me. And so I'm like, all right, man, I don't know, you know, who you guys are and what you came for, but you didn't come for this, you know? I'm a big dude, and the closer that they get, the more I realize these guys are like 13, 14 years old. I mean, they're little punks. And so I have it in my brain. I'm like, man, I'm going to beat you guys up. I'm going to throw you in the river, and I'm not going to let you get out until the cops get here. And so I am ready to go. I am pumped. And as soon as I'm about to make my move, I mean, they are so close to me. And I'm like, all right, we're going to do this. Let's do this. As soon as he gets close, I realize he is pointing a gun right at my face. And at that moment, I realized, Kevin, you are an idiot. You have been yelling at a guy with a gun. I was yelling for help. I was just so loud. And the whole time, he could have just shot me. And so he has, I'm looking down the barrel of this gun, and he's pointed it at me, and he says, get on the ground. And immediately, ghetto Kevin went away. And the good, proper Kevin said, yes, sir. Okay, when I got on my knees, I said, you don't got to tell me twice. And I laid with my arms out and my face in the grass. And the entire time, I just stayed there. I didn't look up. I didn't do anything. And the reality is, I probably stayed there five seconds, maybe ten seconds. But it felt like five years. I mean, it felt like an eternity. I just stayed there with my face in the grass, and I saw his foot, I saw his shoe right here, and then it disappeared. 
And so I'm just sitting there, and time is going so slow, and I have no idea what is happening. And after about 10 seconds, I say, I can't take this anymore. And so I just turn my head to look at what's happening, and they're gone. They're, they're not there anymore. So, you know, I get up, and I start bolting it back towards the school. I mean, I am the fastest runner at that point I've ever ran in my life. I stand up, and I start running. Well, what I didn't know is that Roger and our other friend Corbin, they had been looking for me. They saw these guys approach me. They heard me yelling, so they started running towards these guys. And these guys saw Roger and Corbin, and what they did was they said, we got to get out of here. They shot, they actually shot the gun at Roger and Corbin. Roger and Corbin did what everyone does. They, they hit the ground, and so they're laying down just like I'm laying down. I stand up. I don't see anyone around me. I start running back to the college. Around like halfway in the field, I just see these two people pop up out of nowhere. This is just like these zombies coming from the underworld, just whoop, and they start yelling at me. And they say, come here. And I'm like, who are you? And they're like, dude, come here, come here. And I'm like, no, tell me who you are. Where did you even come from? And I felt so confused. I felt so anxious. I felt so alone. Because even though they were there and they had my back and, and we finally got it, you know, situated right and we finally got some clarity there, at the time, man, I felt completely by myself. Isn't it a scary thing when you are all by yourself? I'm not talking about you having a long day at work and you wanting to go home and just, you know, kick in your recliner and watch Netflix. I'm not talking about you dealing with annoying customers and an annoying boss all day and you just want some time to yourself. I'm talking about when you are all alone, when you reach out for help and there's no help. When you reach out for someone to talk to, but there's no one to talk to. I'm talking about you being completely isolated. It's a scary feeling. You know, we got here Monday, and uh, we got here around 5.30, and I started walking down the steps and going across the street to go to the U-Haul and unpacking my stuff, and uh, I was really feeling that weight of being alone. I mean, I thought to myself, wow, I just, I just left my family, I just left all my friends, I just left my house, I just left everything, and I don't know anyone in Jacksonville, like I have to start all over, I am completely alone here, only person I know is Roger, that's it, and so this weight of being all alone was getting to me, and just around that time, I hear this voice, and it's like, hey Kevin, and that's what she sounded like, Winnie the Pooh, hey Kevin, and I look over, and it's Michael. Everybody, Michael, raise your hand. It's Michael. Michael's my neighbor, okay? And she says, hey, Kevin, and I had already met Michael. And so I look over, I'm like, oh, wow. Isn't it a great feeling when you think that you're all alone, but help is right there? Because I immediately went from feeling, oh, man, I'm all by myself. This is, this is so hard. So, wow, we have a neighbor. If we need anything, we can just walk across the street and talk to Michael. It's a great feeling. We're starting this series this morning called Stomping on eggshells. And this is a guide to healthy relationships. You see, we all have relationships in our lives, and some relationships we got to have boundaries for. Some relationships we need to learn when to say yes and when to say no. Some relationships we really like people, but they don't like us back. 
Some relationships, we can't stand people, but they're in our family or in our friends group. Sometimes it's your boss, and you still have to live with these people. And so this idea of stomping on eggshells is that we're not going to walk around and tiptoe around people and be worried about breaking stuff. We are going to stomp on these eggshells, and we're going to have healthy relationships with one another and with people in our lives. But the first question I want to ask is, why? Why have relationships at all? Why not just go through our life thinking that you can do it all by yourself? If you got your Bibles, flip open to Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just raise your hand and we will bring a Bible to you. Um, if you have a smartphone, you can download the Restore app, which I think is the most hipster thing ever. Your church has an app. That's so cool. Uh, or you can do that U version. There should be no excuse. That's really what I'm trying to say. There should be no excuse that you're not in Mark chapter 2. <laughs> Mark chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> be in verse 1, and I'll read. And uh, if you could do me a favor, we'll just kind of take it sentence, sentence by sentence, verse by verse. Just keep your Bibles open with me. It says this in Mark chapter 2. It says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room even outside the door. Hey, raise your hand in here. Uh, if, is anybody in here claustrophobic? Anybody? Oh, yeah, a lot of people in this service are claustrophobic. Okay, I got you. Last service, nobody was claustrophobic. This makes sense. So uh, I have a friend named Katie, Katie Collins, and she was at my last church uh, Katie was legit, like legitimately claustrophobic. I don't know if she had a doctor's excuse, but she would not take group pictures. She wouldn't be in group hugs. Katie would not ride an elevator. And last summer, like a few weeks ago, uh, Katie went to the beach and her hotel put her on the 16th floor. And so every day when Katie wanted to go to her room, she walked up 16 flights of stairs and she walked down 16 flights of stairs. She was legitimately claustrophobic, all right? Never met anyone like that. Katie would hate this scene right here. Jesus is in a house and word has gotten out about who he is, about what he can do. And so people are coming to him to learn. People are coming to him to be healed. And he is in this house and it is standing room only. I mean, they are shoulder to shoulder and you can't even get inside the door. This house is packed. The fire marshal would shut it down if he was there. I mean, there's so many people, and that is where our story takes place. Look at this next sentence. It says, while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. While he was preaching, there's this guy who's paralyzed. And we don't know if he's paralyzed from the waist down, if he's paralyzed from the neck down. We just know that he's relying on his friends to carry him from point A to point B. And we look at that and we think, man, that must be so hard. This is before wheelchairs. This is before hover around scooters. We look at that guy and we say, man, that must be so hard to depend on others that much. They have to transport you everywhere you go. And man, we, we look at that, we kind of take pity on him. But before you do that, let me, let me ask you a question. This guy, he was paralyzed physically. But my question to you is, what are you paralyzed by? Some of you in here, you have been hurt. 
People have wronged you. People have cheated you. They've lied to you. They've betrayed you. Whatever the situation is, they've hurt you physically. They've hurt you mentally. And you are so upset. And sometimes they've apologized. Sometimes they haven't. And you just can't let that go. And it keeps you up at night. And this grudge that you're holding, it paralyzes you. Some of you in here are so anxious. You have panic attacks and sleepless nights and you can't go to bed and you're always worrying about the future and everything that happens in life just brings you anxiety and you can't tell anyone about it because you think that they would look at you weird and this anxiety, these panic attacks, everything that you're going through, this mental health, it paralyzes you. Some of you in here are addicted to alcohol. Some of you in here are addicted to porn. Some of you are addicted to gambling. It doesn't matter what you're addicted to. You keep telling yourself, oh, I'm going to get it right this time. I'm never going to do that again. And you say, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. But guess what? You know that you will always go back and you always do that. And this addiction, it paralyzes you. And just like this guy who's paralyzed and he's relying on his friends to bring him from point A to point B, what I want to tell you this morning is that you can't do it on your own. You can't live life by yourself. You are paralyzed, and you think to yourself, oh, I'm going to be able to get it. One day, I'm going to be able to try, 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 and one day I'll get it right, but it's not true. You are not designed to do this by yourself. You need other people in your life. You cannot, you cannot live life on your own, and so we take this eggshell of isolation, and we crush it. And we find friends that say, hey, I may not be able to help you, but I'll go with you from point A to point B. Let's keep reading. In verse 4, it says this. It says, uh, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I can't read that sentence without laughing because I think, man, these friends are bonkers. I mean, they are crazy. They say, hey, we're going to bring you to this guy, Jesus, and uh, they get him to the front door, and they can't go in, so they say, hey, you know what we should do? We should go up on the roof, dig a hole, and throw you in there. What? How did that pass through so many people where that was a good idea? I do this thing with my friends, like all my friends. Anytime I'm about to do something crazy, I'll look at them, and I'll say, hey, man, trust your boy, okay? They'll be like, Kevin, what are you about to do? Hey, man, just calm down. Trust your boy, Kevin, where are we going? Dude, dude, trust your boy, all right? No one trusts me, though, because I always end up doing something crazy. And they're like, why didn't you just tell me this in the first place? Imagine how this paralyzed guy feels right now, okay? They're like, hey, where are we going? Hey, man, trust your boy. We're going to somebody that can heal you. And they get there, and they can't get in the door. And he's like, oh, sorry, you tried. Oh, no, no, we got an idea. Trust your boy. He's like, why are we going up on a roof? Hey, man, just trust your boy. What are you doing with that chainsaw? Just calm down. We're just digging a hole. We're just going to throw you in. Just trust your boy, right? This guy must be so scared, and that's the thing. Trusting people is scary. We can't do live, we can't live life alone, but trusting people is legitimately scary. It's scary to be vulnerable because people have let us down in the past. I want to tell you a story. I uh, used to be way bigger than I am now. All right? I used to be 300 pounds. I actually have a picture right here uh, of me. Uh, and funny story, 
you see this picture right here. I was with Roger this week, and I said, hey, I'm going to talk about this story about how I was really big. And I had a picture. I had this picture. And then I had a picture with my shirt off. And I said, which one should I show? And Roger said, let's show the one with your shirt on, okay? So you got shielded from the real 300 pounds, okay? But I used to be 300 pounds, and I was at Blue Ridge Christian Camp, and I wanted to go on a rock wall. Anybody in here climb a rock wall? Yeah, it's pretty fun. I wanted to go, but there was only one person that was belaying people, and her name was Ashley Curtis, okay? I am 300 pounds. Ashley was about the size of this microphone right here. Okay, Ashley was so tiny. She was like 100 pounds wet and wearing boots. And I said, Ashley, do you think you could belay me? She said, yeah, I'm good. I've been certified. I know what I'm doing. And I said, are you sure? Because, like, I know pulley systems, and this don't really match up. And she said, yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good. Everything's safe. I'm good to go. And so me being an idiot, I said, yeah, that's great. As I put on the harness, and we do the whole spiel, like, hey, belaying. And she's, like, belaying on, climbing. And so I start climbing. And I get about halfway up, and I reach, and I grab, and I just can't do it. And I try like a million times, and you know how they encourage you, like, oh, you can do it, you can do it. I was like, dude, I can't do it, all right, let me down. So I'm about 20 feet up in the air. And you know, when you're on a rock wall, what you do is you kick off, and then it brings you back, and then you kick off, and you come down, and that's the way you come down. And I said, actually, I'm coming down. And she says, okay, Kevin, that's fine. And so I kick off this wall. But the only, only difference is I didn't come back because Ashley, I guess, got tired of holding a 300-pound man in the middle of the air. And she just lets go. And so I kick off, and, dude, I am balling, like, fast, okay? And I think to myself, man, I made it through uh, a gun attack, and now I'm about to die on a rock wall. What a way to go. And so I'm falling, and I think I, I'm pretty sure I was screaming, like, what are you doing, what are you doing, what are you doing? And I'm going down, and it would have been so much easier if she just let me fall and splat. Okay, but instead, Ashley decides when I'm a foot away from the ground to get her act together and tightens up the rope. And so the straps go plow, my back goes plow, and my whole body just snaps. And then almost instantly, she decides, oh, he was almost there, just let it go again. And so I snap, and then she lets me hit the ground. I'm like, what are you doing, Ashley? And so every time I see her, I bring this up, and we're, we're good friends, and she knows that I use this sermon, uh, this story in a sermon, but I'm like, Ashley, why did I ever trust you? You are not a good person to trust. But see, the thing is, I would be a fool to think just because Ashley let me down that I can never go climb another rock wall. There's plenty of people that would be able to do a good job at belaying me up and belaying me down. I mean, just because Ashley messed up doesn't mean that every single person in the world is going to mess up. Just because someone hurts you and that trusting people might be scary doesn't mean that all bad, all people out there are bad. You know, you trust people who are worth trusting. You get to know them. You slowly share your life with them piece by piece. And if they can do a good job with this piece, they might be able to do a good job with this piece too. And slowly over time, you trust people and you open yourself up to them. You know, it's not, that, it's not that you can't trust anyone. You just trust people who are good. You trust people who are worth trusting. You trust good friends. And this guy, this paralyzed guy, he trusted his good friends, and this is what they did. It says in verse 5, <clears throat> it says, Seeing their faith, the paralyzed said, I'm sorry, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed, man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law were sitting and thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. 
Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you ask this question in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And this is the coolest verse right here. Verse 12 says, and the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. You see, you can't do it alone. You cannot live your life alone, but trusting people is scary, and we trust people that are good. We trust people, we trust real friends, and this is the kicker. Real friends, they bring you to Jesus. Real friends say, hey, I may not be able to help you. I may not be able to relate. I may not be able to fix all your problems, but I know a guy who can. And so these real friends know the best thing for this guy is to go to Jesus. Real friends bring you to Jesus. But when he gets to Jesus, Jesus doesn't do what he thinks he's going to do. Look at verse 5 one more time. It says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. What? This guy gets lowered through a roof? He gets lowered through a roof and he's thinking, okay, this Jesus guy is this healer. You know, something's going to come from his hand and he's going to touch my legs and it's going to be electricity and I'm going to be able to walk again. Instead, the guy gets through the roof and Jesus looks at him and says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's cool and all, but I still can't walk. All right, these legs are still broken. What are you doing? You see, Jesus doesn't really care about what we think is the problem. Oftentimes, what we think is the problem is just a symptom. Jesus cares about the inside. And so when we think, oh man, if Jesus could just fix this, he's going to do something so much deeper. You know, we think, oh man, I'm having so many money problems. I'm addicted to gambling. I'm addicted to spending. And I just spend, spend, spend. And I have all of these problems. Jesus isn't going to fix that. He's going to look at the greed that's in your heart. And he's going to fix that. Jesus doesn't care. Oh man, I'm addicted to porn. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Jesus doesn't care about that. He cares about the lust that's in your heart. We're talking about this stomping on eggshells. Maybe you're a person that's just so difficult and you don't understand why people don't understand you. And you have so many conflicts, you have so many broken relationships and you don't get it and you're like, oh, I just, I just can't stand other people. Jesus doesn't care about those relationships. He's gonna work on the hate in your heart. He's gonna work on the pride inside your heart. You see, real friends bring us to Jesus, but Jesus does for us way more than we could ever imagine. And this guy, not only did his legs get fixed, his soul got healed. And he got this brand new clean slate. He got this brand new fresh start to start over in life. All because his friends knew that he needed to go see Jesus. And they picked him up and they carried him. These are the types of people that you need in your life. These are the types of relationships and friendships that you need in your life. You cannot do it alone. You were designed to be in a community with other people. And so, I guess this brings us to the, the pinnacle, the why. So what? This is what I ask myself every time I read the Bible and I discover something that's so awesome. I ask myself, so what? Who cares? This guy got lowered into a roof. That was cool. But what does that mean for me? Flip open your Bibles to Proverbs 27. 
Proverbs 27, 17. Proverbs 27, 17. It says, I guess I got to read it, don't I? Proverbs 27, 17 says this. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We read this passage, but I don't think we understand it and see it, so I wanted this morning for you to be able to see it. First of all, I have this really big knife, and do you know how weird it is to walk into a church with a knife? People give you some pretty strange looks, all right? I walked in this morning, it's like 7.30, and all these people, they don't even know me. It'd be different if Roger was doing it, but I'm walking up in here, and I'm like, hey, how you doing, you know? Giving me weird looks. I got this knife, and I got it from my kitchen this morning, and my wife, she's an incredible cook. Okay, she is, and this knife is really sharp, okay, we use it all the time. My wife will use this to cut up steak and to cut up chicken and to cut up vegetables. Let's, I'm going to be honest, let's be real, I'm, I use this to cut boxes, okay, and open my, my Amazon packages. And so this knife, over time it gets used, and right now it's really sharp, but over time if we use it and use it and use it, eventually it gets dull, and when it gets dull, it's done. By itself, this knife, it, it can't be sharpened. It isn't until this guy over here made of the same material. It isn't until we take both of these, we let them interact, and we make this god-awful noise like that. That's like nails on a chalkboard. Okay, It isn't until we do that that the knife starts to get sharp. And so the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens another man. Just like this by itself cannot get sharp, we, by ourselves, we can't live life. We can't become better. We cannot grow. We need other people to sharpen us. And we need to sharpen other people. And so the challenge this morning is to do three things. Roger told me that he tells you guys this thing, and I thought it was the most genius way to put it. He said, what can we do today that will make this real tomorrow? And I want to challenge you to do three things. First of all, I'm going to put this knife up because I look crazy, you know, yelling at you with a knife. I want to challenge you to do three things. Number one, I want to challenge you to commit to community. To commit to a community, you have to decide right now that you are going to stomp on this eggshell of isolation. You have to make this commitment right now that says, look, even though I don't feel like being around people, I'm going to make myself be around people. Because I know by myself I can't do anything. It's with people that I grow. It's with people that I thrive. And, and who knows, you might be a, an answered prayer for someone else. And so you need to commit to joining a community Right outside this door in that little U-shaped table coffee area, there are these pieces of paper, and it's to sign up for a life group, okay? And I always tell my church this. I say, hey, don't sit in rows, sit in circles. And what I mean by that is you can come in here every Sunday, and you can sneak in and sit at the very back, and then right when service is over, you can leave, and we can say, hey, but there's no way that we're going to actually be able to sharpen you. Until you decide, hey, I'm going to join a group, and I'm going to let other people inside my life. Even though it's scary, I know I can't do it alone. I'm going to let these other people in my life, and I'm going to, to be challenged by them. I would challenge you, commit to community. Join a life group. My wife and I, we just signed up. We're going to join a life group. Everyone, it's when we are in these groups that we actually grow. This is important, but groups are just as important. And so the first thing is to commit to community. Maybe today's the day where you sign up to join a group. 
The second thing is this, commit to being led. Commit to being led. We live in a world where everyone thinks that they know everything. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone's got a Twitter and a Facebook, and everyone wants to be retweeted and shared and liked, and everyone has something to say. Man, what if we realized that we don't know everything? What if we found someone that's just killing it in life, and we want to be like that person? And so we say, hey, can we just hang around you? Can I just be your friend? I mean, if, if you wanted to play basketball, and you wanted to get good at basketball, and you had the choice of me or LeBron James, I mean, I hope you would choose me, but let's be real, you're probably going to choose LeBron James because he rocks at basketball. You find someone following Jesus and, and killing it following Jesus, and you link up with that person. You intentionally put that person in your life, and you create that person to be a mentor role in your life. Roger is one of those people for me. I, I met Roger years ago, and he's always been someone who has already done and said and done what I've already tried to do. And so I will call up Roger. I will ask his opinion. I will get his input. He is a mentor for me. Commit to community. Commit to being led. But then here's the last thing. Commit to leading other people. Commit to leading other people. Find someone who might have been where you were and say, you know what? <laughs> you know, you don't go up to to them with a sheet and say, hey, sign here. I'm going to be your mentor from now on. You just go up to them and you start a relationship with them. You start hanging out with them. You purposely get inside their life. I just heard a story uh, last night about, it was like two weeks ago, a girl just baptized another girl at this church. And I thought, man, that's so cool. That's a beautiful picture of what this community is. That's a beautiful picture of what the church is. You find other people to lead. You commit to being led. You commit to community. And so this morning, I don't know if this is your first time here at Restore. I don't know if it's your thousandth time at Restore. But I want to challenge you when you leave to stomp on this eggshell of isolation. To say, I'm done trying to do this by myself. I'm going to open myself up and I'm going to join a group. Maybe for you it's, hey, I'm going to call that person that's been at the back of your brain this entire time. And you know you need to give that person a call. Whether you're leading them or they're leading you, you know you got to go talk to that person. you got to reach out. Maybe you, just, you don't even know who this Jesus guy is, and you want to experience what this man experienced. Maybe you need to have a conversation with me or with Roger or with anyone here. We can all tell you about him. And so this morning, I want to challenge us, as we're about to go into a time of communion, and we take communion together, we take communion as a community I want to challenge you this morning. Don't leave here without making this decision. Don't leave here feeling all alone. Leave here stomping on this eggshell of isolation. You were never designed to do it all by yourself. God created you to be and thrive in a community. And that's how we grow. That's how we get better. Let's pray. Jesus, sometimes we try to do it all by ourselves. Sometimes we think we don't need other people. Sometimes our pride gets in the way. Sometimes other things get in the way. But God, we know that we weren't designed to live this life alone. And God, I just pray for the people in this room. I pray for this church. And I pray for anyone that's just on the fence of letting someone in. God, I pray that you would push that person to say, man, I am done trying and trying and trying and failing. I'm going to talk to someone about this. I'm going to get some help for this. And so, God, I pray. I pray for these people. God, I pray for this church. 
And, and God, we just thank you for Jesus who came. And not only did he tell us how to love, he showed us how to love. And God, he cleans us from the inside out and he does for us way more than we could ever possibly imagine. God, we love you and we serve you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.